0: You know, every once in a while, a movie really just seems to reach out and grab hold of you. And for me, Sweetland is really one of those movies. I'm really pleased today to be joined by Ali Salim, director of this very thoughtful and lovely movie about family and memories. Hi, Ali. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for taking some time out to talk to us.
1: Thanks for having me. I I appreciate the fact that people appreciate the movie, and if they appreciate it, I then love talking about it. So...
0: Wonderful. Well, then you will have a captive audience in this interview because I loved the movie. Tell us a little bit about the original story that you drew from and, you know, what kept you focused with all of the other things pulling at you with with Daily Life? Um, What kept you mesmerized with this project and seeing it to completion?
1: Yeah, I. you know, I think when I first read the story, it was in the Minneapolis Star Tribune uh, Sunday supplement, like a, a magazine section. And I was drawn to it, and I, I read it, and, and when I got to the end, I was really taken by surprise that I cried, because I been I majored in English Lit, and I read volumes and volumes and volumes, and I had become sort of desensitized to that process, or maybe intellectualized. You know, it was like, this is a good right. writer, and this is a bad writer, and that's about it. And I got to the end of this tiny little short story that's so sparsely written, and I cried and that really fueled me to to go and get the rights figuring if I cried other people would cry and then part of what fueled me really is just that initial reaction I just knew that other people would would feel not necessarily cry but you know feel when they saw this movie which I think is so much more important than think after you see a movie and and secondly is sort of what I referenced earlier I you know I once had pleasure of meeting John Sayles, the, the great independent director, and he said the mm-hmm. trick to making these films is you have to get yourself so deeply in debt that you can't afford not to make the movie. And <laughs> you know, he's speaking financially, but he's also speaking emotionally and spiritually, and, and I think I was at the point where it just was, it was in me and, and it had to come out.
0: Absolutely. I really believe that this, this film is going to strike a chord with those of us who are really passionate about exploring family history.
1: Well, my father is an Egyptian immigrant. Uh, he came over in the '50s. My mother's parents uh, came over from Germany. Um, but yeah, my, I mean, you know, I, a lot of this film came from observing my father's experience. Even though I was, I wasn't born when he came, and I was very young, you know, as he was assimilating into the culture. But I, I still think a lot of it was just observing what he was going through and listening to my grandparents' stories about having come over.
0: So, was oral history something that um, happened in your family? Did you get to spend very much time hearing those stories?
1: I forced the issue. Really? I, I don't know why I'm so fascinated by it, but I, I have been. You know, I, I've, I've always been enamored with storytellers and, and specifically historical storytellers because I find historical storytellers are, are more interested in. Maybe it's the emotion, again, which is what I connect to, as opposed to the history books, which are interested in dates and facts and figures, which doesn't really do much for me.
0: What techniques did you use to communicate that this was the first and foremost a memory? I mean, you didn't try to make it literal, although I love the fact that it was in color.
1: Well, to me, that's, you know, a lot of people suggested that it be shot in sepia or black and white, and I I thought, why? I mean, even if I were making a, a A a period piece, which I don't believe I did, um, because I I feel like the film takes place in Lars' head. This is Lars' picture of Inga's
0: painting. Yes.
1: This is the story, and um, you know, to shoot it in black and white and suggest this is the past makes no sense to me, because Inga's memories of that time are perhaps more real and more colorful than her present life. Yes. Uh, And they're more um, I believe that your your memory is a little less cluttered. It's you know, you remember the whiteness of the house and the greenness of the grass and, and that memory is so strong that you maybe don't remember all the chickens running around the yard right. making a bunch of noise, you know? And so you just pare it down to those things and whether or not that hits home with the audience, those are the kind of things we did. It's like what would Inga remember? And if she remembered a detail or two details those to me were more important than all right let's make the yard look like it did or let's make the house look a little windblown, or because i don't think she would remember that and i I sort of don't think that she would have even seen it that way you know and and so there are little games like that the colors the the way they dressed um the well just the fact that you know this device of lars thinking back to the time when he was told the story and then carrying it on to his daughter at the end, I think is they're all just quiet little devices that say this is this is an oral history and not a filmmaker's period piece.
0: I love the, um, the scene where they, Fransen and, and Olaf are trying to take photographs and they're out in front of the house and I thought it was a really neat technique as a director to film it through the perspective of what does it look like through the camera lens. And it struck me because I am very fortunate. I have a lot of old photographs from my family that go pretty far back. And you look at these black and white old tattered things and you try to imagine. But on your film, you made it come alive that actually you could almost imagine the old photograph that you'd see today. But what it must have looked like for Olaf through the camera. It really reminded us that, you know, old pictures were not always old. Those happenings were very modern at the time.
1: Yeah, and I mean very modern because, you know, Franzen was the only guy around to have a camera, so the whole thing was very yeah. new and exciting. And So, yeah, I think it was a, a totally new thing. My grandmother, my German grandmother, uh, who was from a farm in southern Minnesota, had a large box of photographs just throwing them all in there, and some of them were like that. Some of them were, you know, 1920, very first camera in town. At one point we said, you know, Grandma, you got to go through and... and label these so we know who what when where why and so she spent a lot of time doing it and then we went through the box later to put them in photo albums and she'd written on the back me and him taken eight years ago (laughs) (laughs) so we still have no record but I think that's an interesting record in and of itself
0: now you mentioned Alan Cummings he was in Circle of Friends and Pride and Prejudice um, certainly one of my favorites, and um, he just became Franson. I mean, he to me he just jumped off the screen. He's fabulous. Tell us how he came to the film.
1: Yeah, first of all, let me say I'm glad that you felt that way about him. I think it it could have gone either way, and you know a lot of not a lot, but enough people have said I didn't get why you cast him. I, I would have cast you know Stellan Skarsgård, or I mean, in a little bit he's based on my grandfather, who was who was um, you know not a large. Scandinavian man, but kind of slight and and uh, very funny and very influenced by vaudeville as opposed to his heritage. And uh, listened to music and quoted the music. And I just thought, you know, that's I mean, that's how people really were. You can I mean, you could have made this movie with predictable large potato-handed Scandinavian farmers, but I right. I just don't think everybody was like that. And I think that's what gives the story texture. And Alan, you know, when I first read the short story, I I knew that. Olaf needed, uh, Franzen's not in the short story, and I knew that Olaf wasn't completely alone and I knew that he needed somebody to talk to to communicate some of these things that in the short story were internal. I knew I wanted a character there and around the time that I started writing I met Alan through a mutual friend and he entertained us at dinner with accents and stories and I just thought this is the guy I mean almost not like this guy could play my grandfather but this guy is my grandfather and Ned Beatty wanted to make a movie with Alan and John Heard wanted to make a movie with Ned Beatty and Alex Kingston and and Alan go way back to London and you know so everybody was it was like a family moving out there
0: to listen to the interview with Ali Salim director of Sweet Land in its entirety, go to genealogygems.tv and listen to episode 30 of the Genealogy Gems podcast, or visit us in iTunes. Thanks for watching.